How you doing today? Yeah? Have you got peace in the inside? There's no turmoil? Or, or are you just trying to keep yourself from tightening your fists and shaking them all over the place? We've both been in both places. Come on, we've all been there. Maybe you're frustrated today. Maybe you got looked over for that promotion. I mean, they kept telling you what a great job you were doing. How you were setting a new standard. But when the promotion came, they just passed you right over. And all of that frustration and being ignored, it's, it's affecting your relationships. Maybe you got a messed up relationship because of all that frustration. And maybe it causes you to be angry on the road and now you got a dent in your car. And, and if that's you today... I'm not a doctor, but I want to diagnose this, friends. I think what you have is the Bruce Almighty syndrome. And maybe you've seen the film. It stars Jim Carrey, that funny, funny guy, you know? And uh, it, 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 it starts kind of with that same story. He got passed over from the promotion he was sure he was going to get. And all that frustration ruined a relationship, caused him to get in an accident, And the key scene of the movie is this, shaking his fist at God, pointing his finger up into the heavens and saying, the only one doing their job, not doing their job around here is you. And he says this, I could fix it all in five minutes if I were God. Well, there's an intriguing thought. I mean, what would you do if you had all power, all wisdom? What would you change? I'm guessing there's a few things on your list. And my guess is it has very little to do with the bank account. and a lot to do with people and circumstances. I wonder if you can relate to that. Because there is a guy in the Bible that is totally in center on this. I mean, he, he looks around at the circumstances of his world, and he says, something has got to change. I mean, we live in a world going through a political cycle, and people are saying some crazy things, you know, about people, about the world, about their beliefs, and people instantly divide. So many with the same agreement, things have got to change. So I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning as we begin a new study in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Somebody say it. Habakkuk. (laughs) The Hebrew is this. Habakkuk. Say that with me. Have a hook. You got to go when you start. Have a hook. Okay? When you look at it, it kind of looks like that's how it's supposed to be pronounced, but nobody likes to see people going, okay? All right. You can pronounce it however you want. It doesn't matter. I just gave you the biblical pronunciation here, okay? And uh, I may stumble across it here and there, but we're going to study this book. It's three chapters. 
And, and it's one of those minor prophets. Now, when we talk about a minor prophet, we're not talking about, you know, the guys that sit in the back and nobody talks to. We're talking about the size of the letter, the size of the book, about the prophecy. So it's not that this is not important. And I'll tell you what. It kind of hits home in a lot of ways. And if we're really just honest with God, we sit down at a table drinking a cup of coffee and we've got some things we'd like to hear from God, this letter is like that. I mean, here's a guy in our place. He says, God, I've got some questions. And so if you found Habakkuk, Habakkuk is, yeah, then we're going to start in chapter 1, which is always a good place to start when you're studying a book. And we're going to, we're going to see that uh, this, this, this letter is, is written in the fall, uh, just before the fall of Assyria, in, in just kind of the world timetable of history. The, uh, the great nation of Assyria has risen, but now is about to make a fall. And God is about to raise up Babylon, the Chaldeans. And God had used Assyria to punish the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember the whole history of the Bible. You know, you you start in Genesis, and and before you get halfway through, God has already decided he's going to make a nation. Remember that, that covenant he made with Abraham? He said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you and multiply you. And anyone that blesses this nation... I will bless, but anyone that curses this nation, I will curse. And then he says this, and through this nation, I will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. And he's talking about Jesus. Through this nation will become the one who will be a blessing to all. Well, yeah, that nation is, is born with Abraham, got some kids. It's incubated uh, in, in uh, slavery in Egypt. And, and now they start moving into the land, except before they take their first step, they've rebelled against God. And he says, you know what? These people who will not trust me are going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years till they're dead. And I'm going to give the land to their kids. And you think that isn't bad. The time the guy, the, the kids get in the land... They're still rebelling against God is raising up judges to deliver them from the discipline of God that, uh, that, that God brings by raising up a people. And, and, and the cycle just continues. And here we are in the book of Habakkuk, and, uh, and, and the, the Babylonians are now being risen up by God. God is, is building up this nation because he has a purpose for them. And that is to use them as a, as a paddle in his hand to spank his children, to bring discipline to his children. So the nation of Israel has already been taken captive. The southern kingdom of, kingdom of Judah is about to go in captivity to the Babylonians. So that's kind of the setting of what's going on. And, uh, and this, uh, this would take place in 586 B.C., but the thrust of Habakkuk, I mean, really, if you squeeze it all together and you see what comes out, the thrust of Habakkuk is really taking a look at a prophet who is struggling to understand why God is doing what he's doing or why God seems to be doing nothing about all of the things that surely need to be taken care of. 
And so here is this, this prophet who is going to learn this lesson, that God will judge sin in God's time and in God's way. He's going to judge sin in God's time and in his own way. So look at here in verse 1. Notice it begins this way. The oracle of Habakkuk. And his name, which is ridiculous to pronounce, simply means embrace. But I'll tell you what. Habakkuk is having a hard time embracing what's going on. As he looks around and he sees the sin all around him, the rebellion against God and how it pops up in all kinds of ways, there's no justice. People are robbing people and hurting people, taking advantage of people, ignoring people. And the prophet says, why won't you just do something, God? Take a look here in verse 1. He says this, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. And so the, the logical question is, what, what did he see? And, and our outline for today is, is the two things that Habakkuk saw. What's the first thing? Let's start here in verse 2. The first thing that Habakkuk saw was a God who seemed uncaring. When he looked and observed his world, he saw a God who seemed not to care. Because you know how that goes. You know, if God really cared, you know what he would do? And then we usually follow that up with what we'd really like God to do. (laughs) Not certainly what a holy God and all-powerful and omniscient and good God would do, but us when we're having a fit about something. That's normally the way it starts, you know? If only God would see things my way, then my life would be good, or would it? Good God making hard choices to bring about what is best for us. Not only what, what is easy and what is most comfortable, but what is good, what brings glory to him and is ultimately good for us. And so he, sees, he seems to see a God who is uncaring. Then he offers some evidence of why he believes this. Notice evidence number one. Here in verse 2, he cries out to God, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And yet you won't hear. He says, heaven is silent. The silence of God. I cry out to you. But I hear nothing. I suppose we might have all been there. Something that we wanted that was good. It was not even for us. It was for something else. And we cried and we pleaded with God, please, God, this is nothing to you. And you created all of this with the words. Surely, God, you could whisper and change these events. And nothing changes. And we come to the conclusion that maybe God doesn't care. The silence of God. Evidence number one of why Habakkuk is crying out to God and saying, do you even care? Has the thought ever crossed your mind that maybe God doesn't care about you? Because that's where Habakkuk is right here. Habakkuk, he says, God is silent. But you know what? God has no obligation to tell us what he is doing. He has revealed who he is to us. 
He has done it in all of creation. You look outside and you see beauty, you see power, you see goodness. And you say, God must be good and powerful and amazing. And then he reveals to us his word that tells us he is a good and kind, loving God, but he is also a just God. And there are things that we know about God. So God does not have to explain himself why God hasn't done this or why he might seemingly be doing that. But I'll tell you, while God does not have an obligation to explain himself to us, the only right response for us is to trust him. If there is anyone to be trusted in this world, it is God. He will do what is good. He will do what is right. And though it may be painful for us, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to what lies ahead, my friend, the glory to be revealed. And so Habakkuk, he says, God doesn't seem to care. I cry out to him and I hear nothing. And verse 3 lays out a second reason why God seems not to care. It's the sins of Judah. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? I mean, there it is in front of your face, God. It's right in front of your nose. Can you not see what these people are doing? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. God, if you cared even this much, you'd do something about this. It's Habakkuk's uh, accusation, uh, accusation to God. Never done that before. Tied my shoes in front of so many people. Do you notice how I went all the way around? And <laughs> There's some serious accusations going on here, it seems. Some serious questions. God, it sure seems like you ought to be doing something. I mean, if I think you should be doing something, surely you should think you should be doing something. But there's a lot of assumptions in that, isn't there? That somehow Habakkuk in his eyes can see more than what God is seeing. That the absence of what Habakkuk could see, is not, it must not be happening. But I want you to notice here, friends, God answers him. But before he does, friends, we, we seem to have a second accusation here. Hey, God seems uncaring. But here in verse 5, God seems unjust. Take a look at God's plan. This is what God plans to do about what uh, Habakkuk is uh, complaining about. His plan here in verse 5, he says, uh, well, look, look among the nations and see Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. And it is as if God says, take a look behind the curtain and see what I'm up to. Because I promise you this, when it seems that God is doing nothing, I guarantee he's up to something. God is always at work. 
You know, one of the big jokes of that movie is, uh, you know, what do you mean you're taking a vacation? I didn't think God ever took a vacation. Remember the dark ages, you know? God doesn't take a vacation, friends. God does not sleep, nor does he slumber. He never has to take a restroom break. He never needs to get up away from his desk and stretch out, friends. God is always on it. He knows exactly what is going on right now in your life. And you know what? The principle is true there as well. God is doing something in your life. One of the reasons you're here today is maybe to understand that a little better. That while it seems that God is doing nothing, I promise you he's doing something. And even as Habakkuk is complaining about God not doing anything, God says, you want to see what's going on? Take a look. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. And so look at the verb here, for I am doing. That is grammatically a present tense continuous action. You know, the wonderful thing about grammar, and you'll never believe me, is this. It is so clear. You know, there are verbs that are like snapshots. You take a picture, and there it was. It happened at a certain time in history, but it's done. And then there are videos of continuous movement and action and and all kinds of great things. And that's what this is talking about. God is already in the works of it. He wasn't just planning about it. He was already taking care of it. I'm already doing this work in your day. Habakkuk thinks he's unjust. Why? Because of his plan. What is his plan? He's going to do this work. And what is this work? Look at God's instrument. He says, for behold, I am. There's that verb. I'm already working on this. I am raising up the Chaldeans. This plan is very familiar. Remember the judges? Every time Israel sinned, God raised up a people to to place them in captivity, to, to fight against them, to enslave them. And only when they cried out to God did he bring deliverance. And here we are at the, the, uh, the edge of an exile. Israel's already been carried away. Judah is about to go by the hands of the Babylonians, whom God has raised up specifically to discipline them because of their sin. God, you can't use the Chaldeans. And that's his complaint. Look at the instrument of God's plan. The Chaldeans. Now, who are the Chaldeans? This is a nation of uh, people whose capital is Babylon. So the Chaldeans are basically Babylon, okay? And here in verse 6, behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And then then we have a little insight into their attributes, okay? And uh, look at the end of verse 6. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And then we have these descriptions here. Whenever God describes men, he uses animals as an illustration. Take a look here. He says uh, here in verse uh, 8, Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves, and their horsemen Press proudly on, their horsemen come from afar, and they fly like eagles, swift to devour. And they all come for violence 
as their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. And so attributes, this is a fierce army. I mean, wherever they go, they devour and they do it quickly. And no one seems to be able to stand against them. But then take a look at the attitudes of the Babylonians here in verse 10. At kings, they scoff. And at rulers, they laugh. And they laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. You got a wall? We got dirt. They create a little hill to walk right in. Up they go, laying siege against every city. They scoff. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. And here it is, summed up. Guilty men whose own might is their God. These are not good people, friends. They don't go to Sunday school. They don't know the books of the Bible or anything. These people are bad. I mean, they're they're bad dudes. And God is raising them up. It seems God said, you can have the belt or you can have the wooden spoon. I'll tell you what, you're getting the spoon. No, you're you're getting both. Because I want to get your attention. God will do that. Because God will discipline his children. And you know what? When you are under the discipline of God, you have yet again another great example of the love of God. And you say, how can that be? You remember when your parents used to spank the neighbor kids? No, my, kid, my parents didn't do that either. Yeah, some of you might have, yeah, they spanked everyone they could find. I don't know. But I'll tell you, God only disciplines his kids. And you know what? He disciplines them for the very same reason your, your parents disciplined you. Because they, they have a great love for you. And God had a great love for his people. He was not easy to say, forget y'all, away you go. I mean, God at any given time could have opened the earth and have swallowed them up. Instagrave, and away they go. And at times he threatened, stand back, Moses, we're going to start this one all over again. Discipline, the people of God. It is an act of love. But Habakkuk has a problem here. God, wait a minute. I got a problem with your plan. These are bad people here. Let's face it, Judah. I mean, some serious sin and offense to God. But when we put the two together, they look like they uh, know the books of the Bible and uh, enjoy Sunday school and always bring an apple for the teacher. I mean, in light of these Babylonians, Hitler looked pretty good. I'll tell you, these people were bad. I mean, they would kill the women and the children. They would skin people, hang it on their walls just to let everyone know, not mess with them. It would be better to walk out with your hands above your head than to fight against these people. The back issue here is how could you use these people? How could you use these people? I mean, you're a holy God. And then there's the question here in verse 12. I mean, how does a holy God use wicked people? God, you can't stand those people and their sin and the offense they are to you. How could you raise those guys up? 
And look at God's glory. We saw God's plan raise up these people, his instrument of discipline for his people. And now we take a look at God's glory. How does a holy and glorious God use a wicked people? And the real question is, I mean, if he didn't, who would he have left? I mean, if God didn't use people with wicked and deceit in their heart, who would he have left? Who among us could be possibly used of God if God only used the perfect? No choice is available if that's the case. And look at verse 12. His argument of uh, how God could never use the Babylonians is because God is holy. Are you not forever lasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? May we shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment. I mean, you're using these people to discipline us, and they're worse than we are. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You can almost see Habakkuk, look, those people over there. Why does God do what he does? Why doesn't he do it our way? How about this, God? Send us to bed, we'll take a nap, and we'll wake up feeling better. How about that for a plan, God? It'll be easy and nice, and by the way, we like the grape juice and crackers. But no, God is raising up these people, these Chaldeans. We read about their attitudes and their attributes, and now the question is, God, I've got a problem with your plan. First, it seemed like you were uncaring. Now it just seems like you're unjust. I mean, how could you use these people when they deserve worse judgment than we do? And by the way, you're holy. And look at here at verse 13. Perhaps this is unexpected. But remember, we're talking about a prophet of God. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. I mean, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? When the wicked swallows up more than the righteous than he. You make mankind like fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. Just a picture of these Babylonians. Everyone is prey to these Chaldeans like fish. Up with a hook or drag them in with a net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. See, God, the problem with using the Babylonians is they're going to come in here and and sweep us up. They're going to wipe us out like a man wipes a dish. I mean, they're they're going to have no problem against us. And this is the problem. They will give you no glory in this. Therefore, Verse 16, he sacrifices to his net and make offering to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. You see, God, if you use these people, they'll get the idea that it was them who did it. They'll get the idea that somehow they're special. Friends, it happens in the church. Somehow we confuse that really great sermon with, wow, that guy must be really fantastic, when it's nothing of the truth. It is only a great guy using an ordinary man to accomplish something amazing. 
We get these heroes. Oh my goodness, that worshipful song. They must be like a god to come up with that. No, they simply worship a god who is amazing. Give God the glory. And that was the issue here. God, if you use these people, they're going to celebrate themselves. What about your glory? He's got questions. He's got legitimate questions. God, I don't know if you should be doing what you're doing and the way you're doing it and how you're doing it and when you're doing it. This prophet has some questions and maybe you've got some questions of your own today. And then look at verse 17. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I mean... How does God use a wicked people and and will you punish them when you're done with them? Because surely their deeds require your judgment. The prophet has got some questions here, friends. And that leads us to some pretty good application, I would suggest. But let's remember, God will punish sin in his own time, in his own way, just like everything else. God does what God does in his own time and in his own way. And you may look upon the world today and you say, it wasn't like that when I was a kid. Biggest issues uh, when I was a kid, tardiness or skipping class. Today, pregnancy. Drugs and alcohol. How can kids possibly get an education when so many lives are filled with things destroying their lives? It's a dark time that we live in. And we knew it would be. The Bible tells us things are going to get worse. And our thoughts will be, surely God has to do something. And you know the saying, if God doesn't do something with America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I guarantee you, God is a holy, but he is also a just God. And he will punish sin. And the punishment that he meets out will be great and horrifying. but will match his mercy, which is great and wide and available for us today. God punishes sin, but he is a merciful God. And you know what? Here's, here's, there's also some application. God is honored by questions that people ask who are seeking answers. God is honored by questions. Oh, don't question God. All kinds of people question, God, why are you doing this? But they did it not as an accusation to God, but as an attempt to seek answers. God, give us understanding. God is not offended by people who ask questions. God is offended by people who don't care. And God's actions don't always fit in our box of understanding. Our box of understanding we think is so vast. And it is nothing compared to the wisdom and understanding of God. 
And we want to put all of his wisdom and understanding inside our little tiny box of understanding. And we're frustrated when we don't get there. Friends, that's why God calls us to trust him. Because we couldn't possibly understand him. We couldn't possibly fathom why God does what he does, how he does it, because we couldn't possibly fathom the whole impact of every action he takes. Because life isn't just about you. It's about you and the people around you and the people that fill this planet. And God is impacting all of them. So God's actions don't always fit in our box of understanding any more than our bodies cannot perform with the same level of expertise as a professional athlete. I mean, you know, I was watching this football game. Air Force was playing yesterday. You may have seen that game. And in the second quarter, there was this amazing play where this guy, Aaron Burbridge, I think his name is, he was, he was running down the field to catch a pass, and he, jumped, he leapt into the air, and it was a beautiful leap, I'll tell you. He was just all extended out, but he was going out of bounds, and you can't catch the ball out of bounds, and it could be a touchdown. That doesn't work. So when he was up in the air, he twisted his body around enough where his left foot landed inbounds, and the rest of him landed out of bounds. And they showed it in fast motion and slow motion, and it was one of those things where like, how did they do that? It's like watching gymnastics. My, my Ashley, my, uh, my youngest daughter, took gymnastics, and she would do these walkovers and stuff all through the house. I'm like, no, wait, wait, do that again. How do you do that? And I would take them in fast motion and slow motion and rewind. I'm like, how is that possible? I got the same amount of fingers, two legs. Like, <laughs> it was maybe a day. <laughs> But it ain't today. Trust this God who loves you, who illustrated his love by sending his son to die for you. This God who is all wise and all powerful. Friends, if you can't see him in the dark, you got to trust him there. But I promise you this. The moment you think God is doing nothing, I guarantee you he's up to something. This morning, even our order of service, something jumped. Something changed. And I knew God's up to something. I don't even have to know what it is. All I have to know is that there is a great God who is always at work. And when you live life that way, there's not so much frustration as wonder and amazement. And what we're going to see through this study is we're going to see this prophet change. He's going to be changed in his understanding of God and his perspective on the world. So today, we met Habakkuk, and he was, he was worried. God, you're not paying attention. God, no, don't do that over there. But by the time it's all done, you're going to see a prophet worshiping God. And the goal of this study is just that, that we be taken from worry to wonder to worship. So friends, trust Him.